Welcome to the Talk Darbertman Podcast. I'm Blake Fallows, sponsored by SMJ Brady, Connect Red and Elite Football Development. I don't normally release these podcasts till like weeks after we recorded them. I think I've got six or seven that have uh, just been set on my laptop for ages that uh, I can't be asked to edit really. But this one, I've literally just finished with Sean Barker and it was class. It was one of them, occasionally I do podcasts with people and pinch myself a little bit and go... This is this is a bit special. I'm actually doing this, and Box was was really really special. So, I've literally just come off the back of recording it. I'm recording this intro afterwards and literally uploading it. So, here's a great chat with Sean Barker about his football career, the terrible injury, and his comeback from it. Sean Barker. Welcome on to Total Derby to me. First of all, how are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm um, enjoying the time over Christmas with my family and, and catching up with some kind of time with them, which when you're working and you've got lots of things going off, it's um, you kind of miss that time with, at home with, with, with your family and with your kids. So I'm enjoying it at the moment. Thank you. Is it, is it strange being able to do what you want at Christmas, having no football now and being able to see your family? Well, it's, it's strange. I, I, I've had like a normal Christmas since since 2012 when I did my knee, because um, I was long term injured. Um, that Nigel was was really really good with just allowing me time at home, um, especially over Christmas period. Um, he, he pretty much didn't want me in. He says, "Look, go and spend time with your family and enjoy this this kind of moment." Um, I have to. I came in for all the games and stuff because I felt that that was my my job. But I had a lot of time at home, so. Um, and then when I was at Burton and when I was out, um, sorry, I'm, I'm just pushing another uh, daughter out, my oldest one, clear off. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I've kind of had a normal Christmas since 2012. When I was at Burton, there was a couple of years, uh, Nigel, unless he needed me in the squad, um, would say, look, spend time with your family. And um, since, since I've been in Burton's academy, you, as an academy set up you do have the couple of weeks the kids have time at home with their family and and we get to enjoy the um that kind of part as well the couple of weeks at home so since 2012 I've had pretty normal Christmas before that obviously it's mayhem loads of games manic um you have a bit of time at home certain managers are really kind of good around Christmas well certain managers will let you have time at home on Christmas day others will have you in on Christmas day and New Year's Eve and all that kind of stuff but it all depends on what money you've got and 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 what how they see Christmas, I suppose, whether it's just purely professional, whether they kind of divide that with home time as well. But that's part of being a footballer. What's life at the minute then? People will be used to hearing your voice because you've been doing a bit of Rams TV, haven't you? And, and doing the commentary. I'm, I've been used to, to hearing you recently and, and yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I'm a player performance coach for um, Burton Academy. Um, I have to be honest, I was extremely reluctant to stay in football. Um, anyone that's heard any interviews before or or kind of spoken to me know that I was a very reluctant footballer. Um, at 16 years old, I got offered a contract at, at Rotherham and I was like, I really don't want to do this. I had my mum who was like, don't worry, don't you do what you want, don't worry. And I had my dad kind of um, directing me. I'd say encouraging me to take the opportunity rather than forcing me because he never did. But he really laid it out that there was an opportunity I couldn't miss. Um, 
so yeah, so so I've always been reluctant to be a footballer. I've never really enjoyed the football kind of world and and life, I suppose. Um, and then when I got to the end of my career, um, obviously I, I wanted to get back on the pitch after the the, the injury. That was my goal, uh, which is what I, I very um, kind of fortunately achieved with with uh, Burton and, and with Nigel, and obviously coming on against Derby, which was a um, very kind of um, uh, kind of emotional and poignant kind of moment for me. But then. Yeah, I, I got sent to my, uh, my Burton time and, and I said to Nigel, look, um, I'm going to retire. I'm looking um, to, to get out. And he says, you got any ideas? I said, to be honest, I don't care. I don't really, I'm looking forward to getting away from it. And the academy manager, Dan Robinson, uh, it kind of asked me to come over a couple of times that season to, to, to be involved with the 18s, just to see them and, and kind of, you know, see how their setup is and, as soon as I finished, he went, look, I'd like you to get you on board somehow. And I was like, Ooh, I'm not I'm not really too sure. So I've ended up developing my own role um, class as a player form, performance coach, which is predominantly me working with individuals. So rather than being a coach who, who um, kind of directs and coaches the whole kind of group and the whole squad, I can focus on lads individually and, and probably offer more of an insight and more um, value to kind of resilience, mental toughness, positivity, uh, the little details with like that their uh, individual clips from games going through their, you know, what they could have done better. I, I work out their IEP plans, which is individual action plans for their strengths and weaknesses and kind of I'm more of a mentor, I suppose. Don't particularly enjoy this stuff on the on the pitch necessarily, the coaching. That's probably my least enjoyment bit is, is the interaction, the kind of um, relationships you form. Um so that that's predominantly my, my main job. So that's that's what I do from um, week week to week. That's the that's the first taste of a, a real job, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and then I've still got my charity, the Sean Barker Foundation. Still do stuff with that. Um, I've set with the Gods back up again, my t-shirt company, which I took a few years out because of real life and and um, you know being so busy. Got three kids. I'm always doing up a house. Um, yeah, it's, it's I'm, I'm, I am constant. Obviously, I've started the Rams TV. I've done bits and bobs the last couple of years, but um, in the last probably three, four months, I've pretty much done every game. I've done 18s and the 23s, so kind of back watching football at, at, at Pride Park in a strange environment, obviously, with, with no fans there. But, but it's nice to go back and, and, and watch the team and, and kind of, yeah, become like a fan of the football club rather than a player. And, and it's... Yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Are you the type of character that has to be busy? It seems that way. Yeah, I convinced myself I'd love to not be. You know, I kind of, yeah, you look at all the ex-footballers that have got the feet up and go, oh, that'd be nice. But I, I don't know, I've, I've always got something to do. I, I always saw myself as being more of a creative at school. So I loved art, loved media. Um, and that's where I would have gone. That's where I would have gone. I, would, I wanted to go to college and university and travel the world. I wanted to do that kind of independent kind of um, direction with, with education and with just experiences. And then football came along. Um, so I've always kind of craved a bit of creativity. All my friends were in bands and, and artists and um, designers and stuff like that. So that was my natural environment. That was my natural circle. Um being in football was, was was very alien to me. Um, so I suppose once I finished, um, I wanted to do kind of more stuff. But I, yeah, I'd definitely like to be less busy. But if you want to, if you want to achieve things, if you want to try new things, literally 
that honestly I wake up in the morning and the last time uh, well so the first time I'll sit down to maybe watch a bit of TV or just chill out is at nine o'clock when the kids are in bed wow so me and my missus have about an hour watching something on Netflix and then we'll nod off and then the, the day starts again but if you want to I suppose if you want to do something different it's and be um, trying to fulfill fulfill all of the different areas that you're interested in it's um, you have to yeah you have to be busy with uh, with the gods, there's some brilliant designs I've seen. I've, I've seen on your Instagram and on the uh, with the gods Instagram. What, what was the thinking behind that, behind that? Then is it you that does the designs, or have you got a team? Well, yeah. Well, years ago, I used to be um, with with a friend of mine, and then it kind of dwindled out, and and he went his direction, and I kind of went mine. And then um, it's only about a year ago. It was pro- probably in, actually it was in the the proper lockdown. I was like, right, because I, I always came up with the ideas. And I gave it a designer um, to, to kind of put on Photoshop. I'm useless on comput- computers. So, so like at times like computers, technology, like I, I show my age. I really do. So I haven't got a clue what happens with social media. I stick a picture on there and hope that, you know, a million people will see it. I have no concept of, of the hard work and the, the, the kind of uh, the direction you have to go to get followers and likes and retweets and all that. So, but yeah, I, I just decided that, with, with that time off, with that time at home, with time with the family where, you, you know, you're looking to do new things, I thought it was an opportunity for me to to learn how to use Photoshop. And I'm not um, – my, my best mate was was the designer when With The Gods first set up, and I remember watching him, and it was it's incredible watching someone go to work with all the shortcuts and being on a Mac and things are popping up everywhere, and I'm like that at the moment still, kind of working it out, how to do it like that. But I've always had – design ideas uh, was it for a short period we we're in lots of clubs um but it was just hard to to get clubs and, and club shops to reorder really because it's because we were doing more fashion merch rather than kind of that tacky kind of merch stuff that you get very cheap and wear once it's it's good quality gear and well designed and well thought out and lots of references to to the history of clubs and um, anything we design for it's always taken a lot of time and consideration of heroes of, of court heroes and, and um, history and, and kind of the, the kind of the whole DNA of a club I suppose so um, yeah so I started doing it myself and enjoying it and I've got a few designs out I was gonna look to do it before Christmas but I, I decided not to uh, just because of how crazy things are with with COVID and how long you know things to turn around takes much longer so probably in the next I don't know when this is going out but um, mid-January I'll probably have a website and people will be able to go there and order and um, yeah we're gonna have t-shirts hoods sweats um, long sleeve t-shirts bags kind of a variety and the idea is that you, you don't have to sacrifice kind of what you wear and the style you have to, to go to football matches I know at the moment we're not fortunate enough to be going to games and um, kind of wrapping up but at some point that'll happen again and for some people that just don't want a shirt, they don't like the shirt, so but they still want to to kind of worship their club some way. So that's kind of where where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of focus and and soul is with it. Yeah, if Derby fans haven't seen anything yet, go and check it out on on Instagram because there's some brilliant designs. I've, I've shared a few on on our Instagram. It's it's well worth going having a look. And thank you, cheers. Well, look, there's, there'll, there'll be more coming, but um, I wanted just to see because obviously it was there originally uh, and we got a really good response to the club shop sold really well. Um, but then I've, you know, with, with what's happened in the last six months, it's everything's becoming online, you know, it has to be. So I've decided that to do it a slightly different way, but yeah, if you take a look, um, should be, should be sometime in, in 
mid-Jan, Feb, where you'll be able to purchase and, and get some bits. Brilliant. Right, take us take us back then, because you touched on it briefly. How does a, a lad, Nottingham lad, or trials, Nottinghamshire lad? Yeah, yeah. So right on the right on the border, um, right next next to Ilson. <laughs> so we've got um, we've got Trowell, Stapleford, Ilkeston, and all that. I actually uh, grew up playing for Ilson Colts from probably seven eight years old all the way to to being sixteen. Played for Sandyacre for a year. Um, I was the kind of Knotts representative to so South Knotts and the Nottinghamshire uh, boys. So yeah, so I've got a. Um, a family of, of everyone's Nottingham. So Long Eaton, Bramcourt, Stapleford, Trowell. So that's where I grew up, yeah. All Forest fans? Yeah, yeah. They are, <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, I, I was quite, you know what, I, when I was signed for Derby, I wanted to be quite honest and say, look, as a kid, that was, that's. I, I wouldn't say a fan, I always describe fans as being fanatical. You know, they're, they're the crazy, it's the life. And then the supporters, those that are from that area and support it because they're from Nottingham and, and, that was my family. I've got a couple of my family are fans and they pretty much were disgusted when I, when I made the decision to sign for Derby County. But I was always like a supporter as a kid because that was the area I was brought up in. All my friends were, were big fans. And so, but I wasn't obsessed with, with, with Forest and I wasn't obsessed with football. I just enjoyed playing it and I enjoyed watching it. And then as soon as I signed pro, everything went. I had no interest in anything else apart from the club I was playing for. So when I signed for Rotherham, it was, that was... I was a fan of the club, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough that a club would pay me money to, to play football. I felt very privileged and, and all of my sole focus was on that club. And when I moved to Blackpool, exactly the same thing. You kind of remember Rotherham and, and you you continue to support them and watch out for the results, but your then focus is on Blackpool and, and that's proceeded all the way along. So when I signed for Derby, I'll be honest, I, I could not, could not believe it. Couldn't believe that a club like Derby would sign me. Um, so yeah, the whole kind of process of, of you know where I grew up and, and Derby was so relevant. It was just which club suited me the best and which I felt was the best for me and my family. And funny enough, I had a choice of the two clubs. I had a choice of Derby or Forest, and had no interest in signing for Forest once I spoke to Nigel and once I spoke to, spoke to Adam Pearson. So that was my next question. Uh, obviously. Growing up close to Forest, and I was going to say, was was you ever close to Sandford Forest? I never knew that. That it was was it between Derby and Forest? Then? Yeah, so I probably had about a dozen clubs looking at me that summer. I was doing really well. I played right back most of my career, which wasn't my best position, and I played the last probably four months at Blackpool at centre half. And I remember feeling like it was an absolute breeze because I was so fixed. I played right back, you know, for so long, and I wasn't naturally a fit guy. I worked my socks off in training and games. Always gave hundred hundred percent. So. When I went to centre-half, I just remember this is an absolute doddle. Um, I was always good at heading the ball. I was always good at defending um, and be playing in the right-back position where physically you have to be quicker and stronger and better in 1v1s. Uh, when I went to centre-half at Blackpool, I, I, I excelled and, and did really well. And, and that summer, I know there was about 12 clubs interested and you know you got calls from all different types of um, people saying, you know, this club want you and this club want you. But I know that it was the fee that people were were um, kind of unsure about because I was, if, if we're being honest, a heading kick it centre half, an old fashioned no messing about centre half. That for some reason your value is is not probably as much as others. Um, there was three or four centre halves that year that were going looking around two three million. I can't I can't remember who they were, but I felt defensively I was I was good as anyone, and. Uh, Derby and and Forest were the two front runners, and I think Forest had four or five 
Um, bids turned down by Carl Oyston uh, and so did Derby. And then um, I think Derby agreed a fee around 900, I think it was, with, with Derby. Uh, Blackpool and Derby agreed the fee. I was down in Exeter at the time, did pre-season with Blackpool. Um, so I went to see Nigel um, at Morley Hayes, saw um, Adam Pearson and, and I just liked... I just like Nigel. I just liked how he was. I liked how honest he was. I know, you know, in the past people can be a little bit kind of unsure about his honesty because he can can be quite brutal kind of to some people. You go, wow, as he, you know, as he just said that. But I loved it when he when when he spoke to me. He said, look, this club ain't going anywhere near the Premiership in the next couple of years. It's an absolute mess. I haven't got money to spend on this and that and the other. Um, if you hear it's the long it's the long haul one. It's we've got to be patient. He says, but I want people that will battle, that care for the club, that, that will come and be part of a, a group, a family. Um, it says too much money been spent, um, too many poor players, too many players don't care enough about the club. So I want to build something and I want to start with you. And I thought, wow, you know, I was, you know, when you go and speak to people like uh, managers of clubs and uh, chairman of clubs, they, they pretty much say that they're going to get promoted. You know, we'll give you this and we'll give you that. Uh, and I could I could get more money at other clubs. Uh, Forest were offering more money than Derby were. Um, but I spoke to Nigel and, and Adam Pearson, and I, and I, I took my wife. He took he took me to Morley Hayes. So the, the story with Morley Hayes was I, I I'd got a beer waiting for him to turn up, and he like walked up, and he's quite um, quite serious and, and yeah upfront and, and very kind of. You don't mess, you know, he's got this kind of aura about him. You just don't mess with him. He walked up and went, what are you drinking? I went, um, Carlin. I went, yeah. So he got two more Carlin sent over. What, what, what are you drinking back? Uh, got my wife a drink. So you staying here tonight? I was like, right, okay. <laughs> like, almost like whatever you say. And, and I think I had like five or six pints and, and he was just kind of trying to relax me and, and knew that I was just more of an old school uh, player. Wasn't too, you know, some players would be, have to eat the right thing at the right time and drink X amount of water. And that wasn't me. It wasn't where I was kind of brought up and how I was brought up. And uh, yeah, he was just, he was just really relaxed. And I saw Simon, his brother as well, who's a lovely guy. And then he, we stayed at Morley Hayes. And then the next morning, uh, what I didn't realise is that Morley Hayes has no reception whatsoever. So you can't get any phone reception. So he knew this, knew that Forrest were going to come and try and steal, steal him at the last moment. Knew I was a Nottingham boy. So he just went right to the state at Morley Hayes. So I stayed at Morley Hayes. Next morning, my agent rang me when I got out about 500 yards down Morley Hayes and about 13 missed calls. My agent's like, don't sign. Forrest have offered more money. Blackpool have agreed. I've got you more money to sign uh, per week. I just said, I ain't signing. I'm signing for Derby. I went, oh, are you at least going to go see him? I, was, nah. I said, I've spoken to Nigel, like him. I, sh- I got showed around Pride Park and Moor Farm. I, says, I said, I'm going to sign. So I'm I'm not changing my mind. I'm, I'm so tell kind of Blackpool and tell Forest no. This is this is the club I'm going to. And then I know that Carl Oyston at Blackpool was kicking off and saying it was going to um, not let me go because obviously he could, he could, I think he could have got another two three hundred grand at that point uh, from from uh, Forest. And I spoke to him and said, look, this is this is where I want to go. This is this is right for me and right for the family. And he said, okay, and just and then I signed that day. Nigel Clough, um, it, it's always, um, we've, we've probably had, I think it's about 20, 25 players that played for him and, and some players uh, haven't spoken as highly as you have of him. I think, do you have to be a certain kind of player for Clough? Do you have to be that type of honest kind of player? I think one player that you you played alongside, Dean Leacock, 
um, wasn't a massive fan when he came on the podcast. Do you have to be a certain type of player to to be an Nigel Clough player? Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. I think you have to, before the football, I, I think um, you have to be a certain type of character. You have to be a tough character. You have to be a, a character that is willing to take criticism um, for, for other people as well and be, um, yeah, just just honest and and, and I suppose... Yeah, just 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 take just take stuff on the chin and get on with it and try and improve and try and do better. And I I, I remember the first month um, I was we we'd rented a place um, when I first signed, and after about a month I'd had a couple of um, very average games. I say at the start, um, and then I I kind of thought I was playing a little bit better, um, and Nigel was just yeah after every game just not good, you know, not good enough, battering me and, you know, kind of being very kind of, that's nowhere near what we expect. And I said to my wife, Beck, I said, don't expect to stay here because because we won't be here long. I said, he's, he's not having me. And about a week later, um, I was in the dressing room after another game. Um, he said, Barks, have you got a minute? I was like, yeah. And I thought, here we go. So, so I went into the office and he said, just want to let you know, I think you've been brilliant. You've done so well. Um, I'm pushing you because I expect big things of you. I'm pushing you because I believe you're the the the, the player that's going to be captain of this club. That's going to um, get this group together. That's really going to help push the club forward. And and that was after me thinking he he wasn't really having me. And that's kind of how it works. You never really know. Um, but I, I know it was, it was tougher on some than others, uh, and it was often because. He knew there was more there, so when he pushed them, they either kind of sank or or, or swam. Mm. And the ones that sank a bit didn't stay around for long. And the ones that kept, continued to stay afloat and start swimming, he he really kind of stuck with. And and I was one of them players. And you look back at some of the players he's taken to different clubs. Me, Jake Buxton, John Brayford, very very similar characters. Um, would we wore our heart on our sleeves? We gave hundred percent. We would super kind of eager to, to, to please and to, to help others um, and were brave. You know, first and foremost, one of the things that all three of us got through was some pretty bad injuries to continue to, to play uh, and play for him. So, uh, it, yeah, you had to be a certain character. Was it, was it a difficult club to come into because we're in like a transitional time? Like obviously Nigel had a really hard job to do to, Get the wage bill down and kind of stabilise the club at that time. Was it difficult to come into to come into a club where we had, there was no real expectations for you to do anything, really? Was he? So, is it difficult to come into a club like that? It, it was difficult for me because I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I, I'd signed really for the first time and was getting paid championship money because I played for other clubs and, and not, you know, because we played for smaller clubs. I was I was getting paid a lot less than really what I was achieving week in week out. I was playing uh, first time. I was playing for a big big club. You know, I knew the size of Derby County. I knew what to expect of it. And I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I know that Nigel, I think, had to sign, he had to sell three players to, to be able to afford to bring me in. So that's how tight cash was for the club at the time. He spent 900 grand and I think he had to, to sell three players to, to bring me in. And that's why it took so long. So, yeah, I, I, I felt pressure and I felt an expectation, but not necessarily from the fans. It was more about, performances so it's about doing okay and performing okay because no one expected the club to, to really go anywhere in, in two or three years you looked at 
the players that were there and that were kind of not even in the squad that were on big, big money, um, that were just training with the 23s or told not to come in because they were more um, detrimental to the squad and the team if they were around it rather than actually being part of it. So it was a strange, it was a strange club to be in. I, I felt um, the first time that I had to prove myself um, because you, you're looking around the the training training ground and, and you're looking around the, the squad with players that have played um, a lot of games in the Premiership, those that have been successful, those that are, um, had a better career than me um, in terms of how, the, how, the, the level they played at the international games. And, and I was like the big signing. So I was kind of like the guy that was coming in almost to, to, to go ahead of these players that I've seen play in the Premiership and I've seen, you know, perform really well. So there was, I thought there was pressure on me and, and I enjoyed that. But at the same time, it took a little, probably a little bit longer um, to, to kind of settle than, than maybe I have done at previous clubs because when I signed for Blackpool I remember the first game I was exceptional I just I just settled in straight away but I felt more of a um, yeah a pressure probably a personal pressure than a than a club one So you came in and did did well uh, I know you had a, a knee injury before the, the the serious knee injury that you had when you with the, the knee injury that more effectively ended your career um, did you know straight away did you know kind of this is this is me kind of done or did you always believe that you could get back and and play um it was a strange one because the i had the previous injury um which i remember doing it it was a um peterborough away the previous season when we won three nil and i had a little twinge in my knee in the game and i said to the gaffer i said look i'm really struggling with this he's like well get can you get through the end of the season so i continued to the end of the season had an operation, checked it out, and and I had got like a chondral defect, which really you have to have a microfracture procedure where they drill into the bone, it fills up and kind of forms like a, a cartilage over the top. Um, and that next season, I was told just to train two or three times a week and really kind of rest it in the week and just play at the game, at the games at the weekend. And we played for a few months. And I started getting really bad pain in the knee again. And uh, I ended up pretty much playing that full season um, without um, without training. So I had, a, I had an op at the end of the season as soon as we stayed up, which was at Norwich away. We lost, I think, 3-2. But that was the game that we mathematically saved. So I went and had the op then, which I knew was going to be a seven-month op. It wasn't like a quick one. But it meant that I would be, um, be available for the next season, I think around September time. So I ended up having the rehab for that. Everything was great. Everything was fine. Felt really, really strong. Come back, I played, I think, 22 games in a row. I think all of them with, with, with Jason Shackle as well, who was, Nigel was super excited about the two of us playing with each other. He was naturally left-sided, um, tidy on the ball, a little less kind of aggressive than me. So it kind of balanced quite nicely. So when me and Dean played together, it was quite, it balanced quite well because I would be more aggressive and try and win the first phase and the headers and the tackles and he would cover up and look like a footballer rather than, you know, there's always, I don't know if Dean told you, so there's also times where he would like look and, and he'd tell me to shuffle across a bit so I could win the header so he could cover me even on his side. And we had like almost like an agreement, go, Parks, you just win everything. I'll just cover up and get on the ball. I was like, mate, that's great. Um, but yeah, we got into that season then in the game, obviously in the Forest game, I felt really, really comfortable. Like we were never going to concede in that game. Sometimes, you know, as a centre half, you can feel it. And I started the game well, and, and we were just so comfortable. It was, it wasn't a pretty game at all. But defensively, you know, my job was just to 
to make sure they didn't score. And and we were very felt very comfortable in that game. And the ball came in from from the left with Andy Reid and yeah, went to clear it. Frank collided with Frankie and took guy. And the second I had the connection, everything that kind of that you can could kind of imagine a bad injury happening happened. So I, I felt this kind of initial rush of pain. And then that stops almost instantly. And then a second that that happened, I just felt my leg go the completely wrong way, heard a snap, and then numbness started at my very big toe and just flooded up my leg all the way up to my hip. And I knew at that point that this, I thought I'd had a compound fracture where the bone comes out because I felt it go the wrong way, heard a snap, and and, and obviously knew that this was adrenaline kicking in to try and protect me from the pain. Um, I laid there and then, when I came on, Neil Sullivan, our physio and the forest physio at the time, ran on and said, look, you're just going to have to stay still. Your knees popped out. We're going to have to pop it back in. Um, so I just lay there still, really. I kind of trying to be composed and, and kind of casual and, you know, being relaxed about it all because obviously the more stress that you kind of got and saw people coming over, Shax came over and Frankie came over and were obviously distraught and really struggling with it. Um, and then popped my knee back in, which is really bizarre. To, I'm going into a bit of detail now, but my knee was obviously sticking out this way and they popped it back in and it kind of like slid in. It kind of just, you felt it go back into its position really kind of naturally and organically. It was, it was strange. And the thing that was, as I was coming off, I was on the gas in there, um, obviously, and started to find things quite funny. Um, as I was coming off, we always went to Cheltenham. Uh, Nigel always let us go to Cheltenham and that was the next day. <clears throat> so as I'm coming off, I'm like, everyone's going, all right, box, I'm sound. I'll see you there tomorrow. I'm not missing it tomorrow. Um, and then <laughs> as I'm coming off, one of the physios going, box, is there anything I can do? I said, to be honest, my shoulder's a bit tight. You couldn't give me a rub, could you? And he starts going to give me a rub. <laughs> Get off me, you clown. So as I was going in, yeah, I saw my wife. She was really upset because when, obviously she was in the stands watching with my family and there was probably about 20 or 30 of my family there with it being forest as well. There was half of the forest lot and half of the Derby lot. Obviously the board went up so you couldn't see what was happening. Um, so she thought I'd, I'd had a heart attack or some sort of breathing problem because you don't see it very often. It kind of get, got flipped up so you couldn't see much. So she was running down and then obviously ran down to the tunnel and then could hear me laughing and joking and winding the physio up. So she knew I was all right. Got into the changing room and then, yeah, I just said to the um, the uh, the ambulance, I'm not going until the game's finished. And then I heard a roar. Obviously, Jake Brookson came on for me. He was at a really strange kind of moment because he'd almost not played for Derby for, for a, a year or so with injuries and problems and wasn't the number one centre-half. And he replaced me as a good friend of mine and, and replaced me and got on the pitch and obviously scored the goal instantly became a court hero and his kind of career at Derby started at that point, like properly. He ended up playing exceptionally well that season, the season after with Steve. Um, so it was kind of the end of mine, but the start of his. And I suppose if there's anyone that I was pleased kind of took, not my mantle, but took, took my place and, and, and had the opportunity to, to play it for, for the club, it was, it was him. So I waited in the changing room until the game had gone, heard a roar, heard that Booker had scored. So I'm like, brilliant, I'm not going anywhere. So I stayed in the back and then um, you saw everyone come in and yeah, Nigel was 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 distraught because um, I know he thought a lot of me and, and he was um, really upset. And then those players were coming in and it felt like a, 
<clears throat> I was super pleased because obviously I didn't know the severity of my injury, but I knew that everyone weren't enjoying the, the game like they should have done when you just beat Forest 1-0. So it was, a, it was mixed emotions. And I went off, uh, obviously went to the hospital. Next day I went for a, for a scan and saw the specialist. And then I realised that this was this was a, an injury that realistically was going to end my career. But there was one moment what, what I needed. I saw a specialist, uh, Andy Williams, who's the knee surgeon down in London. Um, and I'd seen him. He'd done the previous operation on my knee. Um, and I said, look, have I got a chance? He went, I, I think you've got a chance of getting back. Um even with the amount of damage that was done in my knee, as soon as he said that, I was like, ah, that's all I needed. So from that moment onwards, I was super positive. Um, I had five, I think four or five ops. I had about 30 drains of the knee. Um, I went to Philadelphia for rehab. I saw my own, I paid for my own rehab coach. I worked every single day at training. I was in before everyone else, home before uh, after everyone else. I did literally everything you could possibly imagine to get back on the pitch. And yeah, I've got <coughs> two, two kind of, Moments. One was playing for the 23s on uh, on Moor Farm, and I'll be honest, I wasn't ready to play. I was just telling everyone because I needed to. At some point, I needed to get back on the pitch. Otherwise, there was no chance that anyone was going to take us, and I would have been done. You know, and um, I was still in pain with my knee, but I didn't tell anyone. I said, "Oh yeah, it feels sound." So played 30 minutes. Oh, sorry, played. Sorry, I start. I was supposed to only do 15, 20 minutes unless I was 100% sure. And if anyone knows me, if I'm getting on the pitch to start a game, I'm not doing 15 minutes, no matter what state I'm in. I have to, they have to drag me off. So after 30 minutes, I did that. I'm fine. Got to 45 minutes and then obviously played played maybe, I think, four or five games for, for the 23s. Felt like I, I could have done a job. I did feel like I could have helped out that season. But Steve didn't, um, I didn't see me as being a player for the first team. And then obviously that moment when I had a year out unemployed, Floyd, just doing rehab on my own. Nigel got the job at Burton, told me to come and see the physios there to get myself up to speed. And then told me, I, I want you I, I want you for, to, to sign for Burton just to be around the place, to be in the squad if I need you for five, ten minutes, um, to be another voice, to, to, to lead a bit, you know, to do some training. But I'm not expecting much of you in terms of being on the pitch. And I think I signed maybe two days before we played Derby. And then... Yeah, I, I walked. I walked to the ground knowing that obviously it was Derby, and I, I knew that that he was going to put me on the bench. I knew it. Like I'd not trained at that. I think I'd only trained twice at that point. My shirt was hung up um, in the Burton's dressing room, um, and then obviously um, he, he brought me on in the game with with ten fifteen seconds remaining and uh, from a corner and. Uh, I remember Martin Taylor said, it's a corner. Do you want to bring him on? He said, I know it's a corner. That's why I'm bringing him on. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I was going on. I said, hey, do you want me to pick up Nigel? He went, don't worry about picking anyone up. Head the ball. Yeah, yeah just win the header. <laughs> head the ball. So I went, okay. So I stood there and obviously it hit my head and, and out we go. But that 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 moment, that, that kind of, um, that situation kind of defines how I see Nigel he's beyond a manager to me. We've never had like a, a relationship away from football because he's always been, it's always been a professional one, but um, I see him as so much more than a, than a, than a manager and, and my gaffer is someone that allows um, that moment for, for not only me, for, 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 for my family, for my friends, um, for, for, for Derby fans, for, 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 for Burton fans, whoever is interested in that story. It, it was down to him. It was down to his dedication to to look after 
someone he he valued and, and I could completely understand why why some people found him hard and found him difficult and maybe don't see him in the same way that I do but I've seen a um a person that's beyond a football manager and, and he sees people as human beings and um, that example is as good as you you're going to get for for someone who's honest decent and cares about the players that play for him are you thankful to Nigel as well because he did obviously you were you're out for three or four years and he got he gave you a new he gave you a new contract while you were still uh, injured to, to get yourself yeah. and then obviously giving you that giving you that opportunity at Burton do you look back and are you thankful to Nigel for giving you them opportunities to get yourself fit and get you back out on the pitch the, the, the only the only reason I played football again was down to him you know you could talk about how hard I worked and how hard the physios worked and the SNC guys and and Derby and, and Burton all the clubs and everyone that's been part of my journey has been a major part of it and, and has, have done their bit along the way <clears throat> my wife my family all those that you know, for, for four months, I was pretty much bed bound. So my wife had to pretty much look after me. I couldn't do anything with that. So she was injecting me every day. She was um, changing dressings, giving me tablets. I got stuck in the bath once because the first time I wanted to go for a bath, I got in and then drained it. We couldn't get out. <clears throat> so she's wow. like bringing the physio and I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so there's so many people that have gone along the way. And obviously I, I can't kind of describe to anyone how much hard work and how much patience that I put in uh, and, and dedication to get back on the pitch again. It's impossible to, for me to kind of explain that, but I wouldn't have, one, I wouldn't have had the chance to, to have the three years of rehabilitation at Derby without Nigel. Um, I had two years left on my contract. He came and saw me the day I got out of um, hospital at, the, at my house. Whatever, you, whatever your situation is, whatever you're worried about, we're going to be here for you. The club's going to be here for you. I'm going to be here for you. So we're going to get you back on the pitch. That was the first thing he said. I had a two-year contract. I took a cut to to get a third year so that Richard Keogh was was going to sign to replace me, really. Um, Nigel asked me to stay around to meet him, to, to kind of almost encourage him all the good things about the club. But I knew that um, the club needed to, to release a little bit of funds. So I took a cut and then got a third year, which... Um, I'll be honest, I wasn't reluctant to do because I wanted them to, I wanted my focus to be to get back within two years. And then all of a sudden I got a third year. So then all, it, it didn't seem as imminent. It didn't seem as uh, desperate to, to come back as quick, but it didn't change my mindset. But that extra year in hindsight allowed me the extra year, which changed everything because after two years, I pretty much, I couldn't jog. After two years, after that final year, that third year, I was able to get back, jog again, get back on the pitch again joining light training, then joining first team training, then joining in a game. So that third year was 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 imperative, was was so valuable for me to to return. And then of course I was out unemployed a year because no one um, was kind of keen to take us. <coughs> and I also didn't want to sign for anyone, excuse me, I didn't want to sign to, for anyone unless I could think, thought I could play a bit. But I knew that Nigel saw me more than just a player, whereas most clubs and managers would go, well, I just want him to play. So yeah, that that moment of getting me on the pitch, and you know, there's if if there's a the main person that's that's got me to to play football again, it's Nigel, and um, yeah, forever be, be grateful. And not only me, my family, my my mum and dad, my my wife, they understand that the importance it was um, to me as, as as part of my journey to to be able to tick it to go. Yeah, I got back on the pitch. I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't. I'm not happy with what I achieved when I got back. I, I'm I'm content because I got to what minimum what I wanted, but I honestly believe that I could have, at one stage, could have played football 
in the championship, but that that wasn't um, it didn't work out that way. It, it might be a difficult question to uh, to ask and to answer, but do you ever look back and think what could have been without the injury and think where where I could have been, or is that is that hard to do? And maybe if you go down that road, it's probably a dangerous road to go down, isn't it mentally? No, no, I've been asked this a few times, and and it's a tough one because I would have loved to. Have, have played six, seven hundred games and mm. um, had more time, you know, playing first team football. And, and definitely, I felt like I could have achieved more, uh, a lot more at Derby County. I, I felt I, I could have. I, I don't think I, I was at my best when I was playing because I was always playing through injuries and and, and managing to play um, because I had to, rather than because I was fully fit and you know flying. So uh, there's definitely things I've missed without a shadow of doubt. Financially, it would have been a, a, a it's been a big hit in comparison to to me playing. You know, I know lots of um, kind of people just just see this like world of you retire and you, you live in a two million pound property. It's not like that. It wasn't like I didn't earn good enough money throughout my career to put my feet up once I finished. Um, so so playing, you know, for a good few more years would have made that a big difference. But I don't regret anything because. It happens. I think life things happen, and, and and it's how you you react, how you deal with it, rather than you can't stop what's going to happen. For me, you, uh, things happen. You ch- your mindset is then how do I deal with this? How do I cope with this? And if I'm being honest, I've achieved something <clears throat> by getting on the pitch that's almost you can't compare with anyone else. I don't know anyone that's been out for what five, four and a half, nearly five years from getting injured in 2012 to then coming on. For Burton against Derby, it was it was four and a half years, I think. Mm. That's for what I know. I don't know anyone that's that's managed something like that. So, what I've, what I have achieved, it would have surpassed anything I could have done in six, seven hundred games. Um, I've learned a lot about myself. Um, I've yeah, I've I've become a different person, and, and I always felt that was how I was, and that's the kind of character I was. But you don't know until it happens. Um, and I also feel very fortunate that I can walk and that I can still kind of be fairly active. Uh, I still struggle with it. And, you know, I've, I've, I struggle with arthritis and, and severe pains in there at times, but I can be out on a football pitch coaching lads. I can go on my bike. I can do little things here and there. Um, but um, to, to walk again with the, the injuries that, that I sustained, I feel kind of privileged for that. So you can look at it either way. I, I don't look back at what, what could have been. I look, look back and, and what, actually was achieved from this moment and lots of so many positive so many um kind of clear um signs of of um dedication from everyone not only myself from family from friends from managers from clubs it's it's a success story even though it's the opposite of how it probably feels to a lot of people you're in that bracket of player that uh, even in Derby teams that haven't got promoted and, and haven't done particularly well along with like like you mentioned Bucko, uh, Jake Buxton, Craig Bryson, Russell uh, have just become massive fan favourites and I think that speaks a lot about your resilience, your character and, and how you were as a Derby player that you're still so well thought of having not played as many games as, as a lot of people have for Derby County so I, I think that I think that speaks about, you, about yourself I've, I've seen you out and about occasionally in Derby on Sadlergate and whatnot, I've seen you bumped into you a couple of times. Are you at home in Derby now? Is Derby is Derby home to you? Yeah, um, I remembered 
when we moved, I was kind of thinking to go back towards Nottingham because that's where family was. And we moved to Derby. And I have to say, I love, I love Derby. I love the surrounding areas. I thought the city would be too small for me because, I, I, you know, I lived in Manchester for a bit and Nottingham boy. So I like the kind of big, vibrant um, kind of student cities. Uh, you know, I, I'm interested in creative stuff. And, you know, so I thought that the, the Derby City Centre would would kind of not entertain me enough, if you know what I mean. Um, but as you grow older and you, you have kids and you have less time, I suppose, in them kind of uh, them worlds, I have to say Derbyshire is beautiful. So we live a little bit more out in the sticks and, and I love being a little bit more isolated. And um, yeah, we've got chickens and I've got a kitchen garden, and, you know, proper like, a bit like the Alex Jameses of the world where he's doing his own uh, own cheese. I'm looking at doing my own jam. And, say, yeah, you need your, yeah, you need your own cheese. Oh, the, the but, new jam, your own jam. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm going to start doing jam. So we've got like, uh, yeah, we've got, I've got it all set up. Oh, there's obviously another little business on the side, but we do jam. A bit like a dough boy, aren't you? you got <laughs> yeah, wheelie really, really dealer. But um, yeah, but it's, 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 a, it's a relaxed life and kind of being a bit more in the country. I love it. I love the kind of hustle and bustle when, you know, not the moment when you go out in town and, you know, you meet people and you've had a few beers. I, I love that. You know, I don't think I'll ever t- grow too old for that. Um, I like I like socialising, but I do like that peace and quiet and that tranquility and uh, of being a little bit further afield. And yeah, we love Derbyshire. But in terms of what you're saying about the, the players, me, John and Russell, Craig Bryson, Bucko, Bray, people like that, it's just Derby fans just want to see honesty, good or bad. They just want to see someone working the socks off, doing everything they can to get a result and to get a performance. Fans, fans ain't silly, you know. They know the ones that that feel, I suppose, they feel connected to. They feel kind of that they understand the club and understand what it means to play for Derby County. And if you don't, for me, you don't really deserve to play for a club like that. And we've seen players that have got unbelievable ability and talent and you left frustrated at times because you just want that bit more. You want that, that little bit that you've got that you could give them, that passion, the pride, the kind of the care, the love. And sometimes with when, when you're not in a successful side, and I don't think this too many people can complain about Nigel's sides of not being honest and working the socks off and doing the best. At that stage we just weren't good enough. Um, he had the best squad when when he was when he was sacked, when McLaren took over, because you look at the, the players he brought in, he brought a real mixture. And at that point, every single one of them players cared and loved the club, loved playing for the club, and, and it was part of their DNA. It, that's just what it was, because Nigel instilled that in him. You know, your Chrissy Martin, Bryson's, Keo's, Buxton's, you know, all these people that, Johnny Russell's, these are these were Nigel players. Mm. So there's something there that you can't really question it, because he always looked at character first. If, if, if he thought you was a brilliant player, but didn't have a character, you haven't got a chance of getting into the club. Uh, and also, if he was a little unsure, he'd test you in the first month or two to know whether you're going to stay or not. Um, even like so, Jamie Ward, do you know what I mean, proper great guy. Uh, sometimes hard to deal with because he's a chirpy little git. We've had him on. He, he gave yeah, me. A- <laughs> he's great, man. Great kid. Uh, and Nigel took him lots of different places because he cared about playing football. He cared about the club. You would have seen it when you spoke to him. So that's for me. That's what fans want. They want honesty. They want. They want um, to, to to care that they've got the shirt on and they know how important it is to wear the shirt and that I'll be honest I didn't do it because it was Nigel I didn't do it because it was Derby I didn't do it for, for any other reason that it's my job you know what I mean to play for any club 
you've got to understand the club, you've got to understand the fans, you've got to understand what it means to be out there and every single club's different. Um, but fortunately, like the clubs I've been to, the fans have been um, appreciative of, of what I've done, whether it be 100 games for Derby and should have been a, obviously a lot more um, when I started at Rotherham, even at Burton where, you know, I'm sure a lot of fans would kind of kind of question why I was brought in, but there was still a few that understood that I was there for more than just playing on a Saturday. Um, and that's, yeah, one thing I, I, I can never um, question myself is, is whether um, I cared about being at a football club and cared about what I could offer um, in and around the changing room, offer the manager. Um, and I think that's why fans relate to certain players more than others. But I can't let you go about asking the most important question. Um, probably the, the most excited you'll be about a question I've asked you as well. Is this what's, that music? Yeah. What's That's great... it with me. <laughs> <laughs> go on. Go on what's, what's the greatest album of all time? Oh, <laughs> oh that is a tough one. Um, I don't, this isn't my, the greatest album of all time, but Rage Against Machines album, first album, is okay. most played, I'd say. And I used to play it before every game. Wow. So the build-up to games, um, I, I would put it on before I got there. So you, normally you get into the changing room and, and you'd have, often it'd be R&B and hip-hop and stuff like that because that was more dominant in, in, not in the early stage of my footballing career, but the later stages. Mm. Hip-hop, R&B, rap, soul, that kind of stuff was was on more often than not. Um, what I did at, at, um, at Derby, because when Nigel first, when I first signed, he wouldn't let music in. It wouldn't allow that this rubbish. You're not having this rubbish in the changing room. So it was, all, and it, even if it was on, it'd turn it down as soon as he walked in. So I was trying to work out a way that we could balance it. So we've got a bit of music for the lads, uh, and there was a bit of a mixture because everyone didn't like the same stuff. So I used to ask every single player every couple of months, give me a give me a tune to put on the on the list, and I'd ask the staff, um, and I'd ask the players and and like the kit men and all that. So I'd have like 30, 40 uh, tracks, and that was played each game. So uh, mine, I think my first one was probably Bowie, Heroes. Uh, I remember Braze was Stellify, Ian Brown. There was some of them were like stuff that I didn't know, uh, like s- some of the R&B stuff at the time. Uh, I think Nigel's was a Queen track. Um, Gar- Gareth Roberts was uh, Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. <laughs> so we played that. That was only allowed to be played if we won the game. So really? every, yeah, so every time uh, we we won, we'd walk straight in. Everyone would celebrate, and then we'd stick on the gambler. You got to know that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No way to hold him. No way to hold him. Or like there'd be twenty five lads singing to it like this. Um, but yeah, that was the one way of kind of creating some sort of, um, uh, I suppose, what's the word I'm looking for? Like consistency and. Um, yeah, just just a variant of, of different music that's all in a changing room. And, and as soon as mine would come on, I, I had Manic Street Preachers, I uh, can't remember what song I had, one of the earlier ones, and everyone's going, what is this box? Is this yours again? <laughs> um, but it, it, it offered a variety. But yeah, coming back to I, I, I couldn't tell you my favourite albums all the time. That's Racing Machine's probably the most listened to. And when I turn it on, it instantly gets, gets me. On track, killing the name, you know, all that kind of freedom, all them, all them kind of tracks, just yeah, blow me away, man. I love. How we're doing. We think we did forty-five minutes on football and five minutes on music, and you've absolutely come alive. I'll have to do mute just one on music one day. There you go. I'm happy to do a music one at some point. Have you got the video on? Is the video on here? Yeah, video's on. Yeah. 
One second. You'll be able to see. Oh, class. I've got my records all up, mate. I, I don't get enough time with them, but um, yeah. That's incredible. And I started, I, I, before we go, I started the uh, record collection when I got an injury the first time. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit tight, so I'm really kind of conscious of spending money on myself. So um, when I got my first injury and I knew I was going to be out for seven months, I always wanted a record collection. So I bought a really poor record player and I went on eBay and I bought 200 records for 400 quid, 420 quid, and they got delivered. And I remember the turning up and I was like, oh, oh my word, this is amazing. So I was going through them all, real kind of mixture of Bob Dylan, uh, uh, I'm trying to think who else was there. Bowie, there was Bob Marley, there was stuff like the Cars. Um, yeah, so a real mixture. And then I got a little bit obsessed at that point. And then I obviously was playing it on a rubbish record player. And then when I got my big injury, it was like the big treat for me. So I bought myself a decent uh, hi-fi system. So I got separates. So I remember going to Richer Sounds in, in Nottingham. Um, couldn't really walk at that point. Shouldn't have been out of the house. And my brother and my dad took me because obviously they saw I was pretty miserable at that point, just staying at home all day on a machine, 12 hours a day. So I went there and bought myself one. And then, yeah, kind of kept me sane for a long time, listening to records and, and playing on my records. Um, yeah, but music's a big part, of, big part of my life. Grew up because my brother was, is probably the most knowledgeable music man I know. And then kind of directed me along the lines of Tom Waits, Nick Cave, Pavement, you know, Dinosaur Jr., PJ Harvey, you know, Radiohead, whoever it may be. And then obviously some jazzy kind of stuff as well. So I've got a real mixture and a real eclectic mix because of, mainly because of my brother. So it's kind of, that, that music kept me sane for, for a long part of my, uh, my journey to recovery. Incredible. Incredible. Oh, well, once everything's back to normal, I'm sure I'll bump into you. It's some open mic night in Derby or something. Some yeah, yeah. Big night. Um, said, look, to be fair, that's when I normally bump into people. Open mic nights. Uh, probably had too many and walking along Sadler Gate trying to find somewhere that will play some decent music. But unfortunately, yeah. there isn't that too, too many places in Derby where you feel that you can go for that. No, no, unfortunately not. But it's been absolutely amazing, Box. Thank you for your time and, and, and good luck with everything. And, and thank you for coming on, mate. It's been absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season, and obviously keep keep, uh, keep working well with this, mate. Keep uh, be, um, continues to be uh, well received. I'll give me a shout at another point, and we'll catch up, and we can um, yeah do some more detail if you want to find some uh, more interesting parts of me rather than the football side of things. Yeah, well, a, a few a few have turned into two parters. I think Lee Camp Lee Camp the first one was an hour and fifty. The second one was an hour and forty five. He just <laughs> so we could we could do a part two, mate, anytime. Yeah. No worries, my man. Nice one. Well, Cheers, Bart. Have a good rest of the break, mate.